ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center podcast on the Edify Podcast Network, and I'm glad you've tuned in. My name is Ernest Wamboye, and today we are looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and we're calling this Faith to Faith. Faith to Faith. And why are we calling it Faith to Faith? It's because the verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says this, um, and perhaps the best way to start it is in verse 16 so that we can understand verse 17. And verse 16 of Romans 1 is famous. Um, most Christians know this verse by heart. Most Christians have memorized it. And uh, even if not memorized it word perfectly, when you hear it, you know it. You know it's a Bible verse. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. I'll start from verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, that part we know very, very well. But the Bible says, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Again, verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what does it mean, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith? So that's why we are calling this podcast Faith to Faith. So perhaps the best thing is to go back to verse 16 and look at the context of this verse. And Romans 1.16 begins by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is writing to the Romans and he's saying, there is a message that I am proclaiming and I want you to know that I am not ashamed of it. I am proud to deliver this message. What is this message? This message is the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. What is it good news about? Good news about the reconciliation of man and his creator. Man was distanced from his creator. Man could not contact his creator or effectively relate with his creator. Well, he could contact him, he could pray, but they could not have an effective relationship because man had rebelled against his creator and man had inherited a spiritual virus called sin. And this spiritual virus infected everyone in the lineage of our forefathers, our parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not have friends, did not have, not friends rather, did not have children um, before the fall. They had all their children after the fall. If they had children before the fall, their children would have been untainted. They would have been pure breeds. But since all their children came after the fall, then Adam and Eve passed on that spiritual virus to them. In a sense, the generational sins of Adam and Eve were passed on to their children and effectively to the entire human race. And because of that, we are all born with this sinful nature inside of us. We are naturally inclined away from God. We do not naturally incline towards him. And so because of that, we are distant from God. God, on the other hand, is without sin. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. God is without fault. God does not, uh, God does not bring about um, 
does not have any kind of character deficiency or character defect. God is perfect. God is pure. God is holy. And a holy, perfect, pure God cannot coexist with a sinful, rebellious man. And that sinful, rebellious man will be destroyed by a holy, pure, righteous God. So what has happened? God has realized that the gap needs to be, God has made it possible rather for the gap between us and him to be bridged. For you see, in our sinful fallen state, we cannot bridge that gap. God has to bridge it. Man has tried several ways to bridge the gap between him and God. He failed. He falls short. The Bible says our good deeds are filthy rags before God. They are powerless and useless in getting us reconciled with our creator. So if man cannot reach God, therefore God will reach man. And how has God done this? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and his son came down, who was fully God. He took on the lifespan of a human being and became fully man. And he lived a perfect, pure life. He was not born through the normal way human beings are born. He was born of a virgin uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit so that he would not inherit that spiritual virus that we all have inherited from Adam. And he lived a perfect, pure life. He did not fail. He did not sin. He did not. He, he was he was he was acceptable in the eyes of God. And as a result, he deserved righteousness. He deserved, he deserved the reward of righteousness. He deserved eternal life. He deserves honor, glory, majesty, power, and authority. But what does he get instead? He gets death. Why does he get death? It's because he's traded places with us. He has taken our sins. He has taken our failures. He has taken the due punishment that we deserve, and it has been laid on him. He has taken what we are deserving of, and he has paid the price for it with his own death, his own blood. And in return, he has given all who believe in him an opportunity to get his reward, his reward of eternal life, glory, majesty, power, authority. And he offers that to all who humble themselves and come to him. And he says, all who come to him need not pay need not have something they ought to give in order for them to receive the salvation. It is offered freely. It is offered generously. It is offered to all. It is not offered to a few people and others locked out. It is an open party. It is an open banquet. Jesus said initially in one of his parables, he had invited friends. A rich man had invited friends to come and eat, but they were too busy they were too consumed with their own lives. So what did he do? He opened up his gates and his home to everyone, to the people on the streets, to the people out there on the road, and they came in droves and numbers. And that is a gospel, good news, good news, that God has breached the gap between man and him, and we can approach God through his son, Jesus Christ. The death of his son is the punishment for our sins. And when we accept that, our sins are washed away and we are given the Holy Spirit to renew us so that our desires can be inclined with God's. And so this is the good news. And you see, this good news is an offense. It challenges men and women. It challenges those who are proud, those who think they don't need a savior. It tells them, no, you do need a savior. 
you don't realize you are lost, but you are. Even though you are morally upright, your moral uprightness is but a far glimpse of God's goodness. You cannot match it. And so you are still infected with this virus. And if you stand before God and the virus is inside of you, you stand to lose. You, you stand his judgment. But the good news is that this, this, this gospel has been made available. So uh, lay down your good works and turn to him, the perfect one, and accept to be saved. This is good news to the one who's fallen deep into sin and feels like, I am done for. I cannot do anything with my life. I am frustrated. I am done. I cannot be accepted. Well, good news, my brother. Good news, my sister. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. The gospel says your sins are forgiven if you come to him, if you humble yourself, if you repent, if you say, forgive me, if you come like the prodigal son in Luke 15 and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you, Father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the Father do? He restores you. He says, you are mine. I love you. I accept you. He gives you a place of honor. So in that sense, your sins are not counted against you. You receive a new life. And it is this message that Paul has been proclaiming throughout the places he's visited. And he writes the church in Rome and he tells them, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of this message. And what does he say about this message? It is the power of God. It is power. And it is power for everyone who believes. Look, there's a condition. You must believe. You must humble yourself. You must accept it. It is power that is available when you accept it. Think of it like a bulb in a room. Think of a dark room that needs light. The light cannot be accessed until you switch it, switch on, until you flip the switch. You must press the button. You must flip the switch for you to experience light. Now, you did not bring the light into the room. You did not cause the light into the room. The light was always there. But when you flip the switch, what do you do? You experience the benefit of that light. It's the same with the gospel. The gospel power is available and you've not done anything to bring about that power. You've not done anything to, to install that power. It's been installed freely on the cross for you. However, if you flip the switch, if you believe, if you humble yourself, then it is available. And then it says to the Jew first, and then also for the Greek. Why to the Jew first? Because when God wanted to save the world, this is what he did. He chose a family, and that family was in the Middle East. And that family was of a man called Abram, and he later changed his name to Abraham. And he began to bless this man, gave him wealth, gave him property, gave him favor, gave him a child. And that child went ahead, married a woman called Rebecca, and they had twins. One of those twins went ahead and had 12 sons. One of those 12 sons went ahead and began a whole nation. Not one of them, but rather all of them. All those 12 sons formed a whole nation, the nation of Israel, Israel. And from the Israelite nation, again, God chose someone to bring forth Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so salvation began with the Jews. He chose them. 
Did he choose them because they were better than the rest? He says, no. In fact, he told the Jews, do not think that I chose you because you're better than the rest. I just chose you because I loved you. And then he extended that love to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles, the Greek, as it is typically called. Okay, the Greek here represents every other nationality, the Gentiles. Gentiles are basically non-Jews. And now look at what, what has happened. So Jesus Christ has come through the Jewish nation. He has offered salvation. And now salvation is available to the whole world. This is good news. Now look at what verse 17 says. For in it, in what? In the gospel. In that good message of salvation. Where our sins are taken care of. Where we are saved from the wrath of God. Where we are saved from hellfire, where the worms do not die, where the where the fire does not burn out, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said, Hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was not his desire for us to end up there. And he says that in this gospel, in this wonderful gospel where we've been saved, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, Look at this. It says the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel. How is it revealed through the gospel? You see, through the gospel, we see a few characteristics of God that show he's righteous. We see that God is holy. He's been untainted by sin. He's incorruptible. And because he's holy, he's got a standard. The gospel tells us that God is kind. How? He extends grace to us. We who are full of sin, who deserve punishment, God extends grace to us. He does not use his holy standard as a means to just punish us. Punish us. He extends us grace. That's a, that's a kind God. Look, look at his character. The righteousness of God is revealed to the gospel. We see that God is a judge. He requires sin to be punished. Some people ask, well, couldn't God just have to? Couldn't God just, you know? Couldn't he just forgive our sin? Did Jesus have to die? No. There are rules. There are regulations. Even here in our earthly judicial system, when you commit a crime, it must be paid for. It must be paid for. The judge can't just let you go. It must be paid for. You have breached an agreement. That's how life works. Therefore, someone had to die. Who died? God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus died. God is a judge. And we see that he's a benevolent judge. He doesn't bring us to die for our sins. Rather, he has his own son die for our sins. God is merciful. He forgives. God has no obligation to extend righteousness to us, to extend goodness to us. Yet, he does. What a wonderful God. A righteousness that is seen in his mercy. And we see that God is powerful. He can save. A situation that looks hopeless is now turned hopeful. God saves anyone who comes to him. God saved Paul. And I want you to see that all these things we're talking about is building up to this whole idea of faith to faith. What do we mean that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith? Faith to faith uh, denotes the entire life of a believer. From the beginning to the end, it starts by faith, it ends by faith. And if it starts by faith and ends by faith, be assured that it is sustained by faith. You need to understand that the gospel message is a message that requires faith for you to believe it. That's where it starts. It starts by faith. That God sends out his son, Jesus Christ, and his son, Jesus Christ, steps out in faith. 
that men and women will respond to him. He goes out. And what does he do? He dies on the cross. And how do we get saved? We believe in the punishment of his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And we believe it by faith. At the moment we believe it, we accept it, we are saved. Are you saved by anything you've done? Absolutely not. Do you need to have a moral record that is out of this world, that is stupendous in order for you to be saved? Absolutely not. How are you saved? <clears throat> you are saved by God's grace, but you are saved through faith. You are saved by God's grace, but you are saved through faith. It is through faith that you inherit this eternal life. You believe in the one who died on the cross for your sins. So you can see our life of salvation begins with faith. And then what happens is that once we get into the kingdom of God, we believe by faith that he has accepted us. We believe by faith that he has shown us the way. And we believe by faith that he will keep his promise of eternal life. Now you may be asking, Ernest, are you saying we are not sure that all this Faith is just hope. You know, uh, uh, and, and when I say hope, I'm not talking about the Christian hope. I'm talking the way the English use the word hope. I hope I'll make it. I hope I'll pass my exam. I hope the sun comes out. Quite the contrary. Christian hope is not um, crossing your fingers and anticipating an outcome that is favorable, and yet it could easily go in the other direction. Christian hope is assurance. It's best read, that word is best translated as assurance. And faith is not pegged on crossed fingers with, with, with outcomes that may or may not be favorable. Christian faith is not a gamble. Christian faith is pegged on assurance. When we say that we believe in Jesus by faith, we are saying because we can historically verify the death of Jesus Christ, we can verify his words, we can verify the eyewitnesses, we can verify the things he said, we can take his words, we can level them up with what we think, and we can see this man said the truth. Then we can therefore put our faith in him. Therefore, we have assurance. We don't just have a blind assurance. We don't have a blind belief. We've got an assured belief. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose again. We believe that Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth and all under the earth. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the way, the truth, and the life. And we believe that. And because we believe that, we hold on to it in assurance, not in a gamble anticipation, in a gambling anticipation. We hope Jesus is right. We hope we don't die and find out he was wrong. <laughs> we hope we don't die and find out he was lying. We have this assurance. We have this confidence. And that is why much later, when you read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it even gives a definition of faith. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is substance? Substance is something you can feel, you can touch, you can know. Substance is present. It's not imaginary. Substance is assurance. So faith is assurance of things that we hope for. And that hope is certainty. The evidence of things not seen. Again, evidence. You know it's there. And many a times, faith has been described as blind belief. 
faith is not blind belief. Faith is assured hope in something that will come to pass. And so you see, that's how our Christian life begins. It's by faith. And then it also ends by faith. How? We also have assurance that Christ will keep his word. That he said he will take us into the kingdom of heaven. He has a place set for us. In my father's house, there are many rooms, he says. We believe it. And we know that it is true because he has fulfilled his word in the past. He will do it again. He won't fail us. He will do it. And therefore, we don't, we don't approach death with fear. Thinking, oh my goodness, what shall happen to us? You see, the rest of the world fears death, dreads death. It could even be the, the nightmare of death. What happens when the light blacks out? They hope they're in good books. But we know that since Christ is in good books with God, and we are in Christ, therefore we are in good books with God. We are safe. Friends, friends, examine your hearts. Do you have that assurance in God's word? The Bible says we do. He will come again. Jesus will return. Jesus will have a place for us. Jesus will have a new heaven, a new earth. Jesus will defeat the devil. He will defeat the antichrist. He will defeat the false prophet, and he will establish himself on the earth will establish himself as the king of kings, the lord of lords, the rule of all eternity. It is assured. And guys, the life of the believer is therefore merited by faith. It is not merited by good works. And our faith is in not something we've done, is in what Christ has done. So there's nothing to boast about it. And our our hope for eternity is in faith. Therefore, if it starts in faith, it ends in faith, then the life of a believer in between must be in faith. Everything we do between now, for us who are born again, and the day we die, must be in faith. We must relate with people through our faith. Our faith must inspire everything. We must put our hope in what Jesus has done. And you see, the Bible says in Romans 14, 23, anything not done in faith is sin. Because if we don't live through our faith, the faith that saved us at the beginning, the faith that confirms our eternity, if we don't have the middle live by faith, then we live for ourselves. The flesh, self, will most likely be the one that directs us. But you see, we live by faith. We say, God, you saved me. You've called me to do this. I'm going to do it by faith because you've called me. You have a purpose for me. And when we do that, we please God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. We live a life of faith. We live a life of, 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 of faith knowing that God's plans for us are good. How do we live a life of faith? We obey him. It started by faith. It ends by faith. The middle is faith. How is the middle? How does the faith in the middle look like? A life of obedience. The best way to express our faith is to obey the Lord. We obey him. When he says we wait for sex until marriage, we obey him. When he says we honor our parents, we obey him. When he says we, we, we honor the Sabbath and we don't go working, but we gather with fellow believers, we obey him. When he says we forgive our enemies and we bless them, we obey him. Every time you live a life of obedience, 
and you do it in honor of the God who died on the cross for your sins, you are living a life of faith. And that's why Romans 1.17 says, they just shall live by faith. And that every act of obedience is done by faith. Now, friends, it could be possible that your acts of obedience are not done by faith. Perhaps they're done with another motive. Perhaps you live out your acts of obedience thinking that that is what will save you. And so you find yourself obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying all these things, but you're not doing them by faith. You're doing them by fear. You're doing them by self-centeredness, by foolishness, by being full of yourself. And, And you find that all your good deeds are done for you. You find yourself volunteering in church for you. You're trying to build a moral record. You're trying to impress people, maybe even doing it to impress people. You're not doing it by faith. You're not doing it for God. You see, God sees our hearts. He's not just interested in the outward obedience. He wants the heart. When he says the just shall live by faith, it means our heart's motivation shall be the God who died on the cross for our sins and we accepted him by faith and the God who will raise us up on the last day and we shall live, we shall, we, we shall, we shall inherit that promise and we know that by faith. The middle must be by faith. What is the motivation of your Christian life? Why do you give to your church? Do you give by faith? Do you, are you motivated to give in obedience to the God who died on the cross? Are you trying to please him, to honor him? Or are you doing it so that your pastor can see that you're a faithful congregant? Why do you give to the poor? Do you give it to assert yourself that, oh, I'm such a good person? And do you do all these things for yourself? If you do them, then you're not doing them by faith. And the Bible says in Romans 14, 23, anything not done in faith is sin. Friends, the just shall live by faith. Or perhaps you think that by doing all these wonderful works, then you'll be saved. Perhaps you don't believe that you're saved by faith. You believe that you're saved by your works. So even when right now you're, you're, you're doing all these wonderful good things, it's in a way to kind of get God's attention and approval. You see, we don't need to get God's attention and approval. We already have it through Christ. We don't need to build a name for ourselves. Christ has built a name for ourselves. What is your motivation? Are you living by faith or are you living for something else? The just shall live by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network. Thank you so much for joining us. For this and great, more great podcasts that will build your faith, please tune in to www.edify.app. That is E-D-I-F-I.app. You could also search for the Edify app on the Google or the Apple Play Store. We'll see you next time.